Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, last week we mentioned that this Sunday we're going to take a look at the first conflict that enters into what appeared to be this idyllic movement called the early church. Last week we saw a little bit again this early church was unified. They, they were selfless. They were sharing all things with all people at all times. But we're reminded, even though this early church, the people were redeemed, right? They aren't yet still fully righteous. They were justified, but they're still in the process of becoming sanctified because the early church is made up of people just like you and I, who are sinful and fallen and shortcomings come into it, even in the very first church that was there. So Luke, as he sets up this chapter, because he's a great storyteller, is going to give us this contrast. We're going to get two stories. But the contrast between the two couldn't be more different, and in that contrast, I think, lies our lesson for us uh, today. And he's going to ask us a question. He really asked to the early church, and I just say today's, it's a tough question. It's a vulnerable question, and my challenge for you will be this morning, as you hear this and receive it, to just, it's just you and the Lord, but just that sense of being open and honest and vulnerable and saying, God, what do you have for me uh, in this? So I'm going to ask you to be able to do with that, that our goal really today is that we simply would agree with God, what God already knows about us, and in that we'll find some freedom and hope as we deal with today's issue. So let me pick it up. Acts chapter 4, just to put the context before we get in, pick it up in verse 32, and it says this, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought them the proceeds what were sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Again, remember the context of the book of Acts, right? We're post the Passover, and actually were post the, the Festival of Weeks. And if you remember in this context, there were people, believers coming from literally all over the world, different cities. They were all huddled there in Jerusalem. And so now all of a sudden you had this amazing conversion of 3,000 people coming to know Christ, and yet they're not living in their own homes. And so they had daily needs, and these daily needs had to be met by this new church that was established. And so as some experienced this need, They sold property, brought the proceeds that they could meet the needs of this new church family that was growing all around them. Now, don't worry. Some of you are already getting a little nervous. Today's application is not go home this week, sell your homes, bring the proceeds, and lay them at the feet of the pastor. I mean, that would be an amazing Sunday next Sunday if that was the case. But that's not what it's teaching at all in this this passage where we are today. Today we're going to see this. Again, the next chapter is going to remind us that that action of the men and women to do that, that was something that was simply, it was a voluntary action. It was motivated by love and concern and for the needs. There was no obligation. There was no restrictions and requirements that were there. And in fact, we almost, if we're not careful, get the impression like this was happening daily. But some of your Bible translations will, will read it this way. This happened from time to time as there was need. And so, in other words, as a need arose for this new church being established, some sensed the need, felt the need, and felt moved to say, this is one way I can help meet the need that was there. Also today, we're going to get introduced to, I think, one of the greatest guys in Scripture. 
and uh, somebody that's such an admirable, had such an impact. Uh, he's known as the son of encouragement, and his ministry of encouragement is listed 25 times in the book of Acts. Like what he was doing had such an impact that 25 times it was there. And we're going to see today that his encouragement to the body of Christ came through his giving. He was one of those who saw a need and said, let me figure out how I can help to meet this need. And the impact on the body was absolutely amazing. Can I say for you today, some of you, that's your gift. You have the gift of giving. And sometimes you don't always get acknowledged or appreciated for that in the same way. If you work with kids ministry, you get lots of hugs. You work with students, you get some high fives. But if yours is a gift of giving, we seldom do that in public. I don't say, hey, stand up, everybody who has a gift, and we all clap for you. I mean, that's not the case. But can I just say to you, your gift matters, and it's such an encouragement to the body. I mean, that's what we're going to see in, in Luke 5, so thank you for that. The character we're going to see today that we're introduced to is a man named Barnabas who was known as the son of encouragement, and his encouragement came through his giving. So let's pick it up, the last part. Verse 36 in, in chapter 4, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And when this event happens in this small little community, you can imagine word spreads really quickly. Like, whoa, did you just hear what Barnabas did? And Barnabas sold that. He brought it all to the church, and, and we're blessed by the things that are going. So it spread quickly. And in that story that spread so quickly, for some it was really inspiring. Like, man, I think I can do this. And for others, the spirit of envy and jealousy began to creep in a little bit into their hearts. And that's where chapter 5 starts. We're going to look today. The spirit of envy and jealousy has creeped into this new thing called the church and we know this because chapter 5 begins with this ominous phrase or ominous word, but. Luke's going to say, let me give you a contrast. Barnabas, but. Here's what's coming next. So if you've got your Bibles, that's where we're going today. Go to Acts chapter 5. If you've got your phones, you can go to lexcity.info. If you're new, visiting with us this morning, so glad you're here. Lexcity.info is a place you can find out all the things that are happening here at our church. I'm going to make reference to one of our groups, and that's there at lexcity.info, and all the sermon notes are there. So Acts chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 starts this way. But, contrast, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right? So here's the contrast. Chapter 4, same thing happened. Barnabas sells property and brings it to the apostles. Chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira sell property and they bring it to the apostles. Barnabas gets affirmation, gets confirmed, blessed by what he's done. In fact, now he's the son of encouragement from the things that he's done. So it's no wonder that Ananias and Sapphira, if they're not careful, in their hearts can begin to think, hmm, I saw Barnabas did everybody like, he's now son of encouragement. Uh, we could, why don't we do that? In fact, you can see where their little mind begins to, to run. Why don't we, uh, let's just bring back part of what we, get, we got, and we'll just tell everybody that we are giving everything, and then they'll think we're just as spiritual as Barnabas, and now maybe, I don't know, we'll be the, I don't know, uncles and aunts of generosity. They'll have a new name for us. Can you see how their little pride begins to think a little about this? So here's what I want to remind you today. The issue we're going to see in chapter 5 was not in the percentage that they gave. That was irrelevant. The issue was the hypocrisy of their heart. 
the hypocrisy that they were pretending to be something they were not. That was the issue, right? There was no sin on the percentage because they weren't required to give anything in the first place. This was just an act out of their own generosity that they did. But they wanted to present themselves. Hypocrisy. The very definition of hypocrisy, right? To put on a mask, to act as if you are something that you're not, right? To play an actor. So the context of of Acts 5, the hypocrisy was simply this. It was a deliberate deception of Ananias and Sapphira to try to make, them, make people think that they were more spiritual and more generous than they really were. That's the sin, not a percentage. It was a hypocrisy. I love the way George MacDonald wrote it this way. Half of all the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. That's Ananias and Sapphira, right? They were trying to look rather than trying to be, and therein was their sin. They were lying to themselves. Here was the deceit, the condition of their own heart. They were trying to deceive other people, and in the midst of this, they were ultimately being dishonest with God. So here's the warning, right, that Luke writes us, I think, for the warning for us is simply this, especially in the area of our stewardship We've got to be honest with ourselves and ultimately honest with God on where we are. Because the Lord, right, the Lord already knows the motivation. <laughs> the Lord already knows what's going in our heart, but we have this capacity to self-deceive ourselves thinking we've deceived other people. So the first conflict recorded of the church, first challenge here, happens around no surprise, right? It deals with the area of money. Shouldn't surprise us, right? The Bible speaks over and over. There's this really tight correlation between our resources and our devotion, our resources, our money, and our heart. And when we try to compartmentalize these two things and say they're not, they don't interact with each other, right? We're being self-deceived. We're being dishonest. As the followers of Christ, if we're not careful, we're being hypocritical on the things that we say to be true. So let's get back to our story uh, if you're not familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, it, it's going to turn quickly. <laughs> it's going bad really, really quick. Uh, so let's dig in. Chapter three, or chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after you sold it, was it not at your own disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? For you have not lied to man, but to God. Again, right? Peter says, listen, Ananias, listen. The property was yours before. The property was yours after you sold it. You, you, there was no obligation. But in your freedom to do what you wish to do with your resources, you've made the mistake of following the road of self-deception of what was happening in your heart. You've rationalized somehow in your mind, I'm going to give just part back to, to the apostles or part back to the church, but I'm going to expect to get all the accolades as if I had given all sacrificially, right? That's the self-deception that's happening. And when you're honest with yourself, he says, man, you're ultimately dishonest with God. Luke gives a little side note, a little side theology 101. Remember, Acts chapter 2 was our first introduction of the Holy Spirit in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, Luke wants to remind us, listen, can I remind you that the Father, we, we'll say it later on in our Baptist, a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit and God are one. He says, listen, when you lied, you lied to the Holy Spirit in verse 3. 
And when you lied, you lied to God himself in verse four. He's reminding us the Holy Spirit is God. They are one, a little theology as we go, as we, as we enter in. So then we continue on to verse five. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. No surprise. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out, and they buried him. Aren't you glad you're here today? A little light message, right? But here's what we know about the judgment of God. Man, it was quick. It was decisive. And uh, it fell quickly. And Ananias died suddenly. He died shockingly. And culturally, it was very common. If a person died, you quickly wrapped them and you buried them, right? Remember the climate. It's a hot climate. Little carcasses get funky really quickly. So as soon as he died, they're burying and rolling out. Plus, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, if you die by divine judgment... You are to be buried that very day. And those that were around understood this was a divine judgment of God. So he's buried. But the judgment on the hypocrisy doesn't just end there. It continues in part of our story. Verse 7. In an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. All right? Three hours. So she was probably in the service. So if you think our services may be long, right? these were three-hour services, right? She's clueless to what's happening at this moment. Goes on, not knowing what had happened... And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold, the chance for her to repent, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, well, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet, and she breathed her last, pretty intense. When the young men came in, they found her dead. <laughs> they carried her out. And they buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. No surprise, right? Can you imagine shock waves that would have spread quickly? And I boom, dead, just like they buried him. Man, she barely, she'd gone dead. I mean, it would have spread so very quickly. Let me give you a quick little. If we step back and take a 30,000-foot view, uh, we find something fascinating on the way the Lord works. We see this, that God judges sin very severely at the start of new movements that he's engaged in. Let me give you an example. When the tabernacle was first built, right, Leviticus chapter 10, God killed Nadab and Abu, who were trying to present false fire at the uh, tabernacle. New movement, tabernacle movement, trying to be hypocritical, false fire, killed them on the spot. Uh, Achan. Uh, was killed in, in Joshua chapter 7. Remember the children of Israel walk into the promised land for the very first time. He almost does the same thing by hiding things from the Lord. God kills him instantly at that point. I'm mean, just reminded this. God didn't cause the sin of any of those situations, but his judgment, he uses that judgment as a warning to his people, especially at times when he's starting a new movement. So here in Acts, we have a start of a new movement, right? We have a start of the church age, a new thing. So God's judgment comes harshly, and it comes quickly, and it sends a strong message. And it says the last part, boy, uh, all who were heard, they were, they were fearful. You, can you imagine? The judgment worked in terms of this. There was probably some quick self-evaluation. Like, if God did this for Ananias and Sapphira over what they have done, let me look at my own heart, right? What's my relationship between God and my resources? Am I being honest with myself or am I trying to be deceitful or more importantly, am I being even honest with God, right? Am I taking the things I have, am I hoarding them in fear or am I 
spending them in self-indulgence or am I honoring God with the resources that I have? I, the point of the judgment is it brought in self-evaluation for the people as this new thing called the church begins. And that hasn't changed, right? It's, it's the questions are the same for us today. The journey for us 2,000 years later is the same. We find ourselves. We're not under the law and we're not under obligation or this mandate that says this is what you must give to God. If you don't give this to God, poof, you'll breathe your last on that day, right? We live in a time of freedom, but the danger is in that freedom, we've got to be honest with ourselves and the choices that we're making. Because if we're not honest with ourselves and if we're not careful, the warning of Lucas, we're going to fall back into hypocrisy of our faith and not be consistent. And it's a journey, right? We all share. We're all, we're all on this journey together in the sense of freedom, of honoring God and being honest with ourselves. And so today I want to share just a little story, a little testimony from, uh, from Sarah today. And she's going to share a little bit about her story and her journey. And I want you to listen as she shares her story for those moments of honesty, right? This is where I am. This is where I want to be. And this is who I think God's called me to be as a follower of him. And so here's a little bit of Sarah's story on her journey. Hi, I'm Sarah, and this is my story. I didn't grow up in a house that taught anything faith-related. Um, I learned the term the culturally Christian, and we were very culturally Christian. We were anti-God, but we didn't go to church. So when I was in high school, we had a lot of significant family events happen. I wound up moving from um, my mom's house in with my dad, and he lived next door to um, my grandma's family. And so they kind of took me in, took me under their wing while I was going through all these hard times, and they took me to church. I think that it really did take hold. I know I was kind of young, but it did, it did um, change my life a lot. So I was in college, and I had some friends who were coming here to Lex City. And then I met Chris. Um, he was not into, um, into his faith at all when we met. He was kind of opposed to church. And finally, we worked that out and we started coming together. We joined the Financial Peace University class. That was kind of our first in into Lex City. So we started learning about the baby steps and the first one was saving up your emergency fund. Um, and that's Dave Ramsey's baby steps are his plan to get out of debt and um, learn to live generously um, without having the, the burdens of, of debt all that on you. And then baby step number two is paying off your debt. So we listed out both of our debts, smallest to largest, and then we started paying them off. Then COVID hit, um, and so we were both kind of at a place where we got to work from home. Um, and then we learned about like side hustles and uh, different things that you can do to earn some extra money, which also fed into how we got more involved at the church uh, because we had more time on our hands. We really kind of grabbed hold of that idea of stewardship that um, our time and our money isn't really ours. And um, that was kind of a foundational thing that spurred our, our relationship forward. At the same time, I was reading a book. Um, it was a Bible study and it was just like, just say yes to God, don't ask questions. This email came through and it was Dave Griffith and he was like, I don't remember what it was. It was dropping groceries off to somebody's house or something. And I said, I can, I can sign up to do that. And um, he called me and uh, he was like, it'll be um, after six o'clock or something. Is that okay with you? And I just said, yes. And then he's like, well, it, it might be several loads of groceries. Is that okay? And I just said, yes. And I just kept saying yes. And I'm like, this guy probably thinks I'm crazy because I just keep saying yes to whatever he asks. I'm not even asking any questions. And that was kind of my first 
real thing I did that made me feel really a part of the church. You catch that little taste of it and I just wanted to do more. And um, Chris and I, I found that that was something for him that really plugged him into the church. Uh, was like that, that ability to feel useful and to find who you are and where you fit in. And in turn, I think we also learned like um, how to steward what we were as people, who, what qualities we had, what skills we did or didn't have, and it just, each time that we served, we learned a little something new about where we might fit into the body of Christ and what our function might be. I know in my life, when he changed that mindset and that priority, I never felt like I was giving anything up. I felt more joyful and I always felt very provided for. I didn't grow up knowing that I, none of this was mine. I guess I grew up in that family that really always you know, worked really, if you just work really hard, you'll have everything, you know, that you need. And just, if you don't have what you need, you just need to work a little bit harder. And that wasn't working out. That didn't really work for uh, me. And I didn't see it work for my family either. And so it took a lot of, through a lot of different trials and just things that God taught me, all these different seasons of life. It's like learning that just this isn't me. This isn't mine. Nothing that I've been given is mine. My personality is not mine. My skills aren't mine. Certainly the money that I make through whatever job he happens to give me isn't mine. Um, and my time of all things is not mine. And what we choose to do with that is uh, pretty reflective of like where we are with God and what our heart thinks about God and how our heart relates to God because he's not like uh, it's not like a bank. He's not just going to hold on to it for you. He just turns around and gives it right back, and I've noticed that. So looking back, I can tell that God has been faithful to our obedience in our generosity with our time and how we chose to steward things in response to what He's given us. We dated for four years and got engaged, and that whole time we kept church as a priority, and we worked things out with our faith and tried to keep that at the at the forefront um, and I don't think we would have lasted this long and wound up starting this life together if if we hadn't chosen those those steps and made that progress together and I love that just the point of honesty right this is where we're at and some things that needed to change and they're such an amazing couple have been such a blessing and a gift uh, to our church and what I love is their faith story is so tightly connected with us as a church family. They experienced the book of Acts here, right? The, the God, they were exposed to the gospel. They joined and connected in community, and now they've devoted themselves to the teaching of the word, and it's been so fantastic. And so they want to share with you things that they've learned, and so we are offering a Financial Peace University class uh, that's going to be starting this Thursday. And uh, if you are interested at all, go to lexcity.info under groups. You'll see a little page that just says new groups featured financial peace. That's this Thursday. And uh, Chris and, um, and, and uh, they're going to be there. Thank you, Sarah's going to be there. To, thank you, babe, to help uh, lead that class. And listen, if you're just tired of living paycheck to paycheck, if you're tired of just not having freedom and you need some hope and you need a plan, uh, this is the thing for you. And so... Get on board, get rolling this Thursday. That's going to get off and launching, and what a blessing it is. Acts chapter 5. It reminds us, just even from Sarah's story, the power and the importance of what we do together. That this really matters. The fact that you come every Sunday and we connect and do life, this really matters. And because it matters, it's critical that we have integrity in our hearts before the Lord and before each other and really even before ourselves on what things to do, that we gather together with a degree of honesty to fight the thing that always wars against us, right? Hypocrisy, self, 
self-deception. We can come on a week and just say, God, just reveal to me. Where am I at? Who are you in my life and how does that, that matter? Luke closes by reminding us again the impact of that and, and really a bit of the, of the warning. We're gonna see he gives us two this new church, when they found out about this of Ananias and Sapphira, two things happened, and Luke says, he's mentioning it two times in seven verses that we go. He reminds us how the church responded. Go to verse five. What happened? A great fear came upon all who heard of it. Verse 11. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I think one of the things, if we're really honest, that we've lost in the church 2023 is the fear of the Lord. We've lost a fear of his commands and aligning our lives with those. And it's true in all areas of our lives, but I think the place that we have deceived ourselves, if not the most, is probably in the area of our resources. Certainly Jesus understood this temptation uh, towards self-deception. He spoke on money more than any other thing. Why? He understood this correlation between our resources and our heart and our money and our devotion. Right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, we've preached it before, for where your treasure is... What there your heart will be also. It's a correlation. You can't compartmentalize these two things. So on a morning, I'm already made you uncomfortable and myself uncomfortable. Uh, let's continue, right? If our goal is an honest reflection of where we're at and where God's called us to be, let me just take a few moments and give you a quick little snapshot of where the church of North America is in context of the area of this area of giving in our resources. The average weekly uh, amount given by a U.S. churchgoer, right, in the United States is $17 per week. So that's $73.67 a month. In a year, the average churchgoer in the U.S. gives $884 a year. So if they are tithers, the idea of a tithe, a tenth, if they gave back a tenth to the Lord what God had blessed them with, and that means, that means the average churchgoer in the United States of America makes less than $10,000 a year. The problem is, right, the average income of a U.S. Uh, churchgoer in this year, the average uh, income is not 10000 The average household income in the U.S. this last year was $54,132. See the gap? And in reality, only 5% Honestly, by the way, 5% of churchgoers in the United States actually tithe. Out of all that's there, 5%. See, that's great. So what does that look like for us, right? Let's, honest conversation. What does that look like for us at Lex City? Let me encourage you on the great part. You are, we're blowing away the national average, so thank you for your goodness. Uh, thank you for what you do. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, here, though, is the reality, right? If... Um, as encouraging it is, I always say, like, if God judged on the curve, we could be really happy because <laughs> you're doing great. The problem is, I, I keep looking, I haven't found anywhere where God's going to judge us on a curve, <laughs> right? It's always in the individual accountability and responsibility. So the reality is, whether it's happening nationally, what's happening for Tammy and I in our own household, I'm accountable for. What's happening in your life and your household, you're individually accountable for how we process this area of our resources, principles of the tithe, what does that look like? Here's what it looks like for us at, at Lex City. Uh, medium income here in Lexington is right around $62,000. Uh, the average income in, in correlation to our tithing as a family is closer to 
$1,000 a year. So a little bit of separation there. Again, far above the national average. So grateful, so thankful for what you do. I just think God's called us to what God's called us to do. And I think there's room for us to grow and be better. And just to be honest about that. That's the biggest goal for today is just an honest, all right? Now, here's the great part. If we honor God with our giving, and I always talk about two kinds of giving, right? Obedient giving and generosity. Define the idea of obedient giving. It's that principle of the tithe, consistent percentage giving back to the Lord. But here's the great part. If you do that, those people who tithe, 77% of the people who tithe actually give way above and beyond that 10%. In other words, once you're obedient here, it develops things in your life that you just have a joy and a purpose in giving, and it creates generosity and, and peace and joy and purpose in your life. So 77% of the people who practice this then go on to give a little more. One last one for your statistical information for today. This blows me. U.S. Christians collectively last year... We collectively made, Big C Church, U.S., we made $5.2 trillion last year. The family of God, $5.2 trillion. Now think about this. $5.2 trillion. If we all just did our part, there's not a church that would ever lack and have need. There would not be a missionary that we could not fully support There would not be the poor that we could not care for in a more meaningful way. There would be nobody in the family of God who would go without $5.2 trillion. We could dream dreams that we've never dreamed of because the resources were there to kind of fulfill those kind of things at the Big C Church. The issue is, right, in God's masterful plan, he says this is one way to make it work. It's just the idea that everybody gives a part, right, equal Giving not equal sacrifice, not equal giving, just whatever God blesses you with in those moments. And here's the incredible part. The things that we could do as the big C church, $5. trillion every year. See, the issue is the church doesn't need a miracle. We just need obedience. In God's miraculous plan, he's created all the resources and the context that are in the pews at every church every Sunday that's there. It's a wonderful plan. He just says, here it is. Be faithful with the parts that I've given you and see what, what God would do that we do your part. The challenge is, if we're honest in these moments, right? We've fallen into what Ananias and Sapphira has fallen into. That the average church going to America gives less than $1,000 back to the Lord with what he's blessed them with in this last year. So questions for us today, and I just give them to you. In the honesty of the moment, for the Lord already knows the answer and knows your heart, right? But where do you, where do I... Where do we fall in this spectrum between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira? Where are you at on that spectrum? Are you comfortable where you're at? Do you feel good where you're at? It's just acknowledgement with where you're at along those things. Are you obedient to God or are you simply just tipping God to appease your guilt as you go? And listen, I understand this tension. We all live here, right? There's a thousand rationalizations why we got to where we are. We live in a time of hyperinflation that's here, right? Got debt, got credit card debt. We got student debts. Some of you have children that just keep getting more expensive every single year, every single day as we go, right? We all have these things, but can I remind you that God is the giver of increase. That God is the only one that can help your little wonderful minivan held on by duct tape to get to 200,000 miles. God can do that and he does that God is the one who provides in unseen ways. 
And when we'll trust in there, because this is the point of Acts 5, right? God's severe judgment was to say to the people, I need you to trust me, right? So if you can trust, God will grow your faith. I mean, that's Sarah's story we just heard, and, and that really can be your story today. Acts 5, not an easy one, but a powerful one. I just want to encourage you, again, where we are as a church, thank you for where we've grown and where we're at. I love what God is doing in us and through us. I love God, who God is creating us to be as a family. I look at nights like that Princess and King, what a blessing, 500 that we could just build into 300 something. Most of them were not even from our church, never seen before. We could build into our community, that we can build into fathers and speak hope along those things. I love what God is doing in us, that we are an expression of acts in Lexington, Kentucky together, and it's a beautiful ride to be on. And God does amazing things when the people of God are united around a mission. When he gets the glory, when we're humble in those things, we see God do powerful things. And today, we're gonna get to celebrate one of those powerful things, the power of baptism and the testimony of baptism. Today, you're gonna get to hear from some folks who had a great group last hour, some folks who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledged their sin and their need for a savior, and now today are getting baptized to go public to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want you to know what God has done in my life. And we, as the family, get to celebrate an experience as Acts 2 is alive in our midst. And so here are some of those stories. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church slash give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.